everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio Classics, where we take a look at a classic episode with some new information. On Monday, we covered episode 13. So, 13 is lower than 72, that was an earlier one. But 13 was just three weeks in. This We've let the show grow for a month or two at this point. 72 episodes, probably about three or four months. So there's some interesting insights going into this episode. This episode was recommended by Marcus Clausen. And Marcus actually recommended this episode twice. That's how badly he wants to hear this episode be repeated. So I'm going to present the episode to you now. If you've already heard it, you can jump to the end. But I think there's some interesting information you may want to listen to again. This is episode 72, Hyper Sigils. Was there really an internet game that encouraged its players to commit suicide? And can magic help you get the life you've always dreamed of today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everyone, welcome back to Dead Rabbit Radio. My name is Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. Episode 72. This is crazy that it's actually lasted this long. And not to be fair, no, no, no. Not that it's lasted this long, but that I've kept doing it this long. It's awesome. I'm very, very uh, proud of myself. We're actually doing, which, you know, you should always be proud of yourself, but we're actually doing great. Thank you so much for everyone who's downloading the show, listening to it. It's it's doing, it's phenomenal. We are hitting the tipping point where now it's just getting subscribers and getting new downloads every day. So I appreciate that. And really, that plays into our second story. So I currently have a friend who's having trouble with mice in her house. Now, I'm not going to say who it is because she she would beat me up. But, you know, the, the traditional answer is you have mice in your house. People say, well, get a cat. Cat will eat the mice or cats, however many mice you have. Apparently, she has a lot. That actually works with other species as well. I used to eat a ton of rice, pounds and pounds of rice. It's really cheap, and it's filling, and I love it, and I always like mix it with chili or Taco Bell or whatever. Turns, It's basically just a filler food. What I didn't know was that in rice, and correct me if I'm wrong, I probably am. I don't know if this is exactly where they came from, but in rice, there are little bugs called rice weevils, like eggs, basically. So if you, and again, people are like, that's not how it works, Jason, that's not how it works. But this is what I was told happens. If you cook rice and don't eat all of it and you let it sit out for a while, the rice weevil eggs hatch. And so you get these little bugs that fly around your apartment. Now, that sequence of events happened quite often where I would cook rice and wouldn't eat all of it. I would leave the bowl out and these bugs, these little rice weevils (laughs) began to infest not this apartment, this was years and years ago. I don't want people going, I'm never coming over to your apartment again, Jason. Anyway, so I'd get these rice weevils flying around. They, 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 they pretty much limit themselves to the kitchen or wherever there was rice before. Maybe they show up to eat the rice. I don't know. That's not the point. Anyways, I had rice weevils everywhere. And then one summer, the rice weevils were gone. But my, clean, my uh, sanitary habits didn't change. So I was like, oh, I wonder where all those rice weevils at. But I had an infestation of ants. Not an infestation, but I had a lot of ants in my kitchen. Because again, not cleaning up. And so I was like, oh man, I got all these ants. Oh man, I just, no peace, of course. I could have just cleaned up. But it's like, what am I going to do with all these ants? So finally I got some bug spray or just cleaned them up. I think I, I just like mass extermination of all these ants. And then maybe like a couple days later, a week later... The rice weevils came back, and I thought, wait a second, the ants, the rice weevils were here, the ants showed up, there was no more rice weevils to get rid of the ants, rice weevils show back up. So then I realized that the ants must have been eating the weevils. So what I did, again, rather than clean up, I coaxed a bunch of ants into my apartment by leaving sugar out for them and lollipops and candy the ants showed up in droves never had another rice weevil problem. Now, when I say rice weevil problem, let me tell you this story for an example. I was dating a girl at the time. She was over at the apartment. And 
she was complaining about something or whatever. I'm sitting on the couch and she's just like, yeah, that, that, that. And she had something in her hand and she hit the top of the trash can. So like the lid would pop down to throw the thing away. She's looking at me because she's complaining to me about something. And she hits the top of the can and she drops the thing into the garbage can. And right when the can lids open, a bowling ball size of rice weevils just silently flew out of the garbage can. I was almost expecting them to make the shape of a mallet and hit her on the head. It was like a cartoon amount size of rice weevils. And they just flew right by her. If she had seen them, it would have been over right there. Absolutely. She would have crucified me and broke up with me, which technically happened later on. But the I saw it like, and my eyes go wide because I'm thinking if she just turns slightly to her left, she is going to piss her pants. And they just fly up and then they just kind of like are buzzing around the ceiling. Of They're happy they finally got free of their garbage can jail. And she didn't see them. But so that was the level of rice weevil infestation. So I ended up coaxing the ants in. They took care of the rice weevils. And then it, as a reward to them, I built them an amusement park. I built them a little, I built the ants like this little like walkway. And then I had like this little thing of rubbing alcohol. And it was like, if they fall on that, they die. So that's not really an amusement, but it was amusement to me. And I built like these little bridges they could walk across and I put sugar everywhere so they could eat it. I love ants now. I don't have them anymore, sadly enough. Well, I guess that's good. But I always liked watching them like eat stuff and be like put out a lollipop and then you'd see them eat little little holes through them and stuff like that. So thank you, ants, for giving me entertainment and saving me from rice weevils. Let's go ahead and get started with the episode. So... This is an interesting story because there's a lot of disagreement over whether or not it's real, which isn't surprising on the internet, but for the amount of impact this has had, it is weird. What we're going to talk about here is the Blue Whale Game. Now, the Blue Whale Game started back in 2017, 2016, 2015, actually. So started back in, say, 2015. And what that is, in, in an overview, an umbrella view of the Blue Whale Game, you it is a series of 50 tasks that get increasingly more dark and violent. So the first, I finally found the list. It took me forever. And see, again, there's not a ton of concrete information on this. So we're going to go over a couple of the the quick, we're going to quickly go over a couple of these tasks. So day one, you're supposed to carve a phrase on your arm. Day two, you wake up at 420 and you watch a scary video. These keep going through. You have overcome a fear you write an online status on social network about being a whale you listen to music that the curator sends and so what it is is that you sign up for to be part of this blue whale game and you get an advisor and they walk you through these 50 tasks and if you don't complete them you get like berated like you're not doing these fast enough where's that picture of that guy's name carved on your arm and stuff like that and and the end result is kill yourself and some of these tasks are set up to overcome objections to killing yourself like climb up a crane go to the edge of a bridge stand on the edge of a building and basically it's baby steps to get you to that point now supposedly it started in russia so it's been linked to like hundreds of suicides and there was all these it was an international thing governments were saying parents you have to monitor your kids social network there's this game going around that's taking young vulnerable depressed kids and talking them into committing suicide there are people online who are trying to get your kids to commit suicide um one of like egyptians former government officials his son killed himself they believe it was linked to this game they had a big outbreak in india the biggest was in russia where they're having a ton of these And what's weird is the pushback was, no, this is a modern day witch hunt. This is just like the satanic panic of the 80s, which is where, you know, supposedly everything was, everything that went wrong was Satan worshiping. You could play albums backwards and there are preschools with Satan worshippers running them. And that's almost like its own episode, but it was kind of like this moral panic. The the pushback was none of these suicides, because kids were killing themselves. The question was, is it linked to the Blue Whale game? And they can never find, according to the online sources, they can never find definitive proof. What we know in this time period is kids were killing themselves, which is nothing new, unfortunately. And that there were websites dedicated to getting people to kill themselves. The question was, were the two things linked? So there was a really interesting article written in Cosmo where a young female reporter went undercover pretending to be an even younger female. And she got a hold of one of these groups because it wasn't incredibly hard. And she met a guy who was 
saying, you know, follow these steps. Why aren't you doing these things? And it's an, it's an interesting read because she talks about kind of the mental anguish she was going through because she was going in as an undercover reporter. But the way he kind of groomed her actually was making her feel depressed and lonely and things like that. Now, again, the pushback is none of this stuff is linked. None of this stuff is linked. In Russia, they arrested a man. They arrested him for inventing this game, basically. And he was being held on charges of inciting suicide. And he's like, oh, these people want to die. And I'm just cleansing society. They're biological waste, which is funny because that's a lot like we talked about yesterday with Satoshi Umamatsu. He figures he's doing the world a favor. And again, the pushback, the debunking is, oh, there's really no proof this guy was arrested. That was first reported in this tabloid type website and things like that. It's totally made up. It's overblown. What I honestly think is going on, it doesn't surprise me there are people out there trying to talk other people into committing suicide. Maybe it's their fetish. Maybe it's a power move. Maybe it's their way of being a serial killer. I think the pushback is the thing saying this isn't true. These kids are just unfortunately killing themselves. It's not linked. I think the pushback is coming from, and this is my conspiracy, coming from tech companies. If the governments of the world could prove a conclusive link between Facebook, between Instagram, between uh, Twitter, and a suicide game that's causing hundreds of kids to kill themselves. It was like 230 kids or something like that. You would see massive regulation on those sites. Massive. They would say, Facebook, you have to vet every single comment that comes online because people are dying because of it. So what would Facebook and Google do? They would basically lobby to say, this isn't true. They're going to favor search results that are like, well, there's no conclusive link. They're going to favor stories where they're like, yeah, but, you know, this didn't really happen this way. And we think it's just a, a made up thing. And, and this didn't happen and this didn't happen because otherwise they would their survival would be in jeopardy. If you if the governments and again, moral panics do happen and stuff can get overregulated because of that. But if the governments of the world could prove these things are actually happening, these sites would be shut down. I think this is I think that I believe that people are still enticing young people to kill each kill themselves online. And I believe that young kids are doing it. And I believe it's a problem. And I believe it's a problem that's being covered up because there's just way too much at stake to let that information get out. We're already talking about regulating Facebook and Google because they're demoting conservative websites. Could you imagine if we could prove that they were encouraging suicide? Or not necessarily encouraging it, but not stopping it. That people were using their sites for young kids to kill themselves. It would be a disaster. Absolute disaster. So we'll see. Again, it's, a, it's an odd story. There's tons of articles on it, but all of them say there's no conclusive link. And maybe there isn't. Could also be that, you know, when a young person takes their life, family is all, always going to look for answers, and maybe it's the easy answer to go, oh, they were coaxed online, part of this blue whale game. But again, I think the truth may be half in the middle. Even if half the kids was linked to this group, that's still a problem. And it's a problem that would need to be addressed. I'm not a huge fan of Facebook and Google, honestly. But I just think that's an interesting story. Now it's kind of come back with the Momo challenge, which is kind of the same thing. It's this creepy figure that encourages kids to commit the suicide. So the, the game is still going on. It just will change its name and because these creeps are always out there. The next story we're going to talk about is far more uplifting. So I don't want to end on that one. When I was about 18 or 19, I got this design in my head. I was really into metaphysical stuff back then. And I remember I saw this image and it wasn't magical. It wasn't like it was floating in front of me in, in fire and talking to me and Enochian or anything like that. It was just this glyph I got in my head. Can't really explain it. I can draw it easily. And it was basically, when I saw it, I knew what it was. It was the symbol of my life. I was like, that's my. That's how my life will be charted out. That's the symbol of my life. And I knew about sigils and things like that. So a sigil is basically an inscribed... I'm reading the definition here. Is an inscribed or painted symbol considered to have magical powers. So it's basically like a design... That is infused with magic, magical thought, magical vibration. So I, I had this image in my head and I've drawn it out. I, people who know me may have seen it on me before. And usually I draw it when I'm bored. But it's always been very comforting to me. Because it's a symbol of hope 
and it shows the good times and the bad times in my life. It kind of just charts the whole thing out. And I'll, I'll see if I can draw a picture of it and throw it up online. I need a scanner. But it, so that was, I had that sigil. What's interesting, so then we're going to skip ahead to what the story is about, is not the magical drawings, but something known as a hyper sigil. So a hyper sigil is not just a drawing of a symbol, a magical symbol, but it is a living magical work. It is basically a sigil that has its own... It's a sigil in story form, I guess is a good way to put it. People have made hyper sigils out of things like poems, of comic books is a really popular one, movies, and things like that. And what it is, is it, it is basically taking your life and turning it into a narrative. You live the hyper sigil. Grant Morrison is a comic book writer. He's very, very well known in the comic book community. Not real name recognition, but he had a comic book that came out quite a while ago called The Invisibles. You probably know it better as The Matrix, because The Matrix ripped off a lot of the plot, the overall plot of The Invisibles. But for him, The Invisibles was his hypersigil. He, to him, that's his hypersigil. That is the life he wanted, and he lived through the story of the comic book. And he, he said, I wanted to live in a glam futuristic world, so I created a glam, futuristic world and enveloped myself around it, and now I'm living the life I've always wanted to live. Now, sure, being a successful comic book author is part of that, because he has the money to buy those things. But, you create... and So, imagine what your life is like right now. Now, I want you to imagine if going forward, you had to cut a movie trailer for your future life. So you're where you're at right now, but you go, you know what? I want to be this. I want my life to have these elements. I want it to be exciting or exotic or, or passionate or dangerous. Imagine a movie trailer of you waking up tomorrow, the life you want. Imagine a story, a narrative where you are the main character and really put your mental thought into that. You are creating a hyper sigil by doing that. I've done that with Dead Rabbit. When I was putting up flyers for the show, I imagined, I go, this would be a scene in the trailer for this story of my life, of me just going out and doing the groundwork to get this ball rolling. I remember specifically thinking that as I put the flyer up on the community board, I thought, this is a scene in the trailer of the story of Dead Rabbit Radio. This is me taking that first step to get it known to the wider public. And that's how I live my life. I've created this narrative for me. I've created this character that is me. When people meet me in real life or people who know me listen to the podcast, they're like, Ugh, it's just like talking to you. But at the same time, Dead Rabbit is part of a separate space, part of like a magical thought space, a, a future that I want. And that's how I envision it. I put my hyper sigil is Dead Rabbit. And I think about it. And I put it out there, and it, it, it that's the weird thing. It, it works. It absolutely works. If the show fell apart tomorrow, you could argue it didn't work. And I'd say, yeah, there was a, you know, convergence of factors, and something happened, the show couldn't continue. But that's not going to happen. The show's going to keep growing and growing and growing, because I've seen those parts of the trailer. I've already lived those parts of that story. I may get curveballs, I may get plot twists that I don't see coming, but the overall story is the same. If you listen to the early episodes, and I, I don't know if I necessarily said it on the episodes, I'm pretty sure I did. I did say it in real life. I would tell people, we're going to wait 50 episodes, and then we're going to take a, then we're going to evaluate the show and see where we're going to do at in the future. Just two episodes ago, I was talking about five years from now on the show. Like, this is the growth of the show over the next five to ten years. Like, I've, you, I keep fixing that narrative to go farther and farther into the future. I don't want to preach to you guys. But I think this works. And I think this can work for everybody. And the beauty of it is, it's free. There's no seminar you have to go to. There's no book you have to buy. I will say this, all the information I've given you on hypersigils is kind of all the stuff that I found. There is this quote... And this is a quote from Grant Morrison. This is how he defined hypersigils. 
The hypersigil, or supersigil, develops the sigil concept beyond the static image and incorporates elements such as characterization, drama, and plot. The hypersigil is a sigil extended through the fourth dimension. My own comic book series, The Invisibles, was a six-year-long sigil in the form of an occult adventure story which consumed and recreated my life during the period of its composition and execution. The hypersigil is an immensely powerful and sometimes dangerous method for actually altering reality in accordance with intent. Results can be remarkable and shocking. You don't have to believe me. It sounds completely foolish. I think it works. I've seen it work. Is it possible? We talked about this with the Despair Code episode, too. You know, you hear stuff like The Secret, which is... I've looked into The Secret. Positive thinking is definitely good. There is actually an older book from the late 1800s called The Science of Getting Rich. And you think it's a book about, like, how to do well in business. It's a book about the metaphysics of gaining property and money. And it is fascinating. It's, it predates this, obviously, and it's basically that the universe is full of a formless substance. And when you think of becoming wealthy, the universe wants to provide to you that wealth. But you got to work for it. It's super bizarre. Basically, the premise of the book is there are no natu- a limitation on natural resources. There is no limitation of money. Anyone who wants money can get it, but not just through hard work. You also have to visualize yourself becoming wealthy. And the uh, uh, William Waddles, I think, or Wallace Waddles wrote it. It's fascinating because he goes, you can have two hard workers next to each other, and one person is rich and one person is poor. You can have two people with the same business. One person is rich, one person is poor. Two houses on the street, one person is rich, one person is poor. And he's like, if it was strictly because of socioeconomic factors or strictly because of the business you were in, everyone on that street should be poor, everyone in that business should be poor, or reversely, everyone on the street should be rich, everyone in that business should be rich. He said the people who are wealthy are the people who already believe that they're wealthy and they act accordingly, and the universe recognizes them living that life and then rewards them with it. It's really bizarre. And it it has the guy, the author was a, a Christian socialist, and it has this weird Christian theme running through it. And basically, it's like God, the universe, everything wants you to be wealthy because you can't truly live life if you're poor. That's almost its own episode. But, I mean, again, I think that it, your thoughts dictate your reality. And you go, well, Jason, what about the kid living in the Sudan? You know, his hypersigil could just be to get a meal the next day. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. The same reason why I can never answer the question, like, why would a god or any higher deity let children die of cancer? I don't know. But I do think that there is a power to your thought. And if you can create a new reality around it, just try it. That's what I would say. And again, the beauty of, like, a system like this, you know, you're not, no one's selling you anything. It just simply exists. I know it works for bodybuilders. If you talk to any bodybuilder, Arnold Schwarzenegger, any of those guys, they'll say, I visualized myself being muscular, and that is how I got to this point. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. They also had to work, lift a shit ton of weights. But if you're just lifting weights and you're not visualizing yourself, you haven't created that story. You're not living that character as a monster of a human. You're just lifting your weights. There's a disconnect between the mental and the physical. Imagine your life as a movie. Create a plot around your life. Think of that. Focus on that. And see what happens. I could be wrong. But I think hypersigils work. And if they do, and we have the ability to reshape our own lives, you could say, well, Jason, I want to be a superhero. I want to fly around a building. Can I use a hypersigil for that? I don't know. I don't know. I do have a theory about that, though, actually. I think that if that was, if you really, really wanted to be a superhero and you imagined every day you becoming a superhero, again, I have no proof of this, but I think that you would basically create an alternate reality where you were a superhero. You would still live in our reality, and I wouldn't, like, if my best friend every day wished he was a superhero and he created this hyper sigil where he could fly around, 
I think, in theory, in my reality, he would still be Joey, but an alternate reality would open up where he got superpowers. Does that sound insane? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does this whole thing sound insane? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm not, like I said, I'm not selling you anything, and I don't really know. I believe that it works. I've seen it work for me. But if I'm wrong and a bunch of people want to say that was your dumbest story ever because you're trying to convince me that if I tell myself a story, it'll come true. What do you have to lose if you don't do it? Like I said, the only thing you're losing is time and thought process, which we're going to spend anyways. I've said this before. I will sit at home and I will imagine getting new listeners to the podcast. But at the same time, I have to work on my podcast every single day. I think that's part of it, too. I think part of the hyper sigil is you create the life you want in your head. But if the life in your head is to be a major league baseball player, you got to practice. you got to put that work in. That's kind of what Wallace Waddles was saying, too. If I sat around and said I want to be a super successful podcaster and release an episode once a month, that's not going to work. But... I put in the work to do the podcast. I was up till four in the morning recording stuff yesterday. And then in my free time, I imagine the future I'm going to have with this podcast. Hyper sigils. It's on the conspiracy iceberg. And it may be one of the truest things on there, honestly. We'll find out. Let me know how they work for you. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. One of my hyper sigils is not to be infested with ants, by the way. Should put that out there. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. That was episode 72, Hyper Sigils. Now, this was an interesting episode. Marcus Clausen asked for me to repeat it. I always have to say his name in one full go. I just like the name of that. I just like the sound of that name, Marcus Clausen. Probably mispronouncing it. He's like, that's not even how you pronounce it. This was an interesting episode to repeat. This is a very personal episode to me, even though it wouldn't seem like it. This might be, and I could be mistaken by this, but this might be one of the earliest episodes where I talk about personal stuff. I remember being a little reluctant to talk about certain things in this episode. I'm pretty sure it was. Episode 94, I just looked it up, was the Shadow People Invasion. That was the first time that I believe I went into in-depth paranormal stuff. So episode 72, when I was talking about hyper sigils and I drew my own sigil and put it as the show, I remember being very nervous about that. Because this was the first time I actually, I think I had made comments in the past. And again, I haven't listened to the first 71 episodes in quite a while. I've obviously talked about I believe in ghosts, I believe in demons and stuff like that. But I don't think I ever put myself out on the limb and saying this is something I believe in that most people think is foolish. I think this might have been the first time I did that in full. Obviously, by telling people that, you know, you could walk off Venus, by telling people that chipmunks talk to each other, you could go, that sounds quite foolish, Jason. But I remember being, yeah, I remember this was an episode, because you're putting yourself out there. You're putting yourself out there. With this show, I not only look at the people who are downloading it now, but who are going to download it in the future. And I don't let myself, I don't censor myself because of that, but I'm aware of that. Episode 72, I probably had, I don't know, again, off the top of my head, maybe 50, 100 downloads per episode. That could be a little bit higher or a little bit lower. I'm not entirely for sure. And now my episodes routinely get 2,000 plus downloads an episode. And people go back and listen to this episode. So it's not like I recorded this episode for 100 of my friends. I recorded this episode and put it out there for anyone with an internet connection to listen to. So I remember being cautious or 
I think this was the first time I said, I, again, I think I've touched on these things before on this show, but this was the first time I go, this is something ridiculous that I wholeheartedly believe in. And that's the idea of hypersigils. That's the idea of the power of attraction. I think it's funny because I started the episode off when I go, man, can you believe we've lasted 72 episodes? Every so often it'll hit me. But when you do, when you hit your first 72, you're like, whoa, man. So I thought that was kind of cute, kind of funny. I tell the rice weevil story. That's something that I've actually stopped doing. I'm not, not having a messy kitchen. I actually have stopped doing that as well. I used to start the episodes off. You would listen to the early stuff. And I don't know why I did it. I think I got into bad habits from other podcasters that a lot of times episodes would start off with stories that were unrelated. It's an interesting, I think it's an interesting and disgusting story. Sure, sure. I'm sure you guys love to hear about the rice weevils and the ants. I find the story fascinating, but it has nothing to do with anything else in the episode. If you're a new listener, you're like, what in the world? What in the world is this filthy, filthy man talking about? If you're in it for the humor, if you're in it for the personality, it totally works. People listening to the show now, going back listening to it, classic Jason. But at the time, I think story, and I don't do that very often now. When you listen to episodes, they start off. We have a lot of stuff to cover today, so let's just get started. First off, let's give a shout out to our Patreon. It's very structured. Very structured. I started giving the Patreons a goofy way to enter the facility. That's something new that I've added. But I try to keep the Patreon introduction, all that stuff, down to like a minute and a half talk. I, from the beginning of the episode to the time this first story starts, and that includes the intro music, that includes, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. It's about one and a half to two minutes, tops. Because as a new listener, I tell you at the beginning, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Blue Whale, we're going to talk about hypersigils. Hey everyone, welcome back. Da, 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 da. Intro, Patreon. Here's the vehicle. We're off. We're headed off to Italy to talk about the Blue Whale game. That's a new thing I have, and I think it keeps people more engaged. Now, I may tell you the Rice Weevil story later in that episode. Because I've got to tell the Rice Weevil story. Or figure out a way to save it for another episode where it relates to something. But yeah, that's a bit of a change. And that's with the Sam the Sandown Clown thing. It was the same thing, the weird Return to Oz thing. I did that episode earlier in the week. It's just like, it's fun. It's a funny bit, I guess. I don't, I actually, I can't stand it. Like, the more I think about that bit, it's like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> just move to the clown. It's almost weird. It's almost like I don't have, and I see nowadays I have faith not only in the stories, but in my storytelling ability. When back then, I don't think I did. I go, oh, you know, maybe this stuff's not wacky. And it's not supposed to be wacky. The first story's about people killing themselves. It's the opposite of wacky. So I don't know why I'm telling that Rice Weevil story. It's just like right out the bat. It's weird. Then we go into the Blue Whale story. Which again, I think it's a good, I think this is a good episode. I think this is a good episode. I feel like I've been knocking it a bit. Uh, the Blue Whale story is good. It's one of those things that it's just a, it's a by-the-numbers story. It's facts, which is totally fine. You don't want zany, wacky, it's an animated whale show up and started being like, hey, kids. It's a good investigative journalism story. It's, it is what it is, and it, I think it's a good story. It's a horrible topic. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm not knocking that. I think that's presented pretty well. I remember, though, going... So I don't have much to say about that. The story is that... And it's interesting and it's tragic. And I'm sure stuff like that's still around. Um, but the hypersigils. Me drawing out my hypersigil, that was something I had shared with my friends before. I never put that online. That was a, that was a big thing for me. And it's funny because it's a, to you, it's a doodle. And same thing if you, sh and I'm not knocking you. You guys, you guys are dope. I'm not knocking you. I'm not saying you guys are too ignorant to understand. But you know what I mean? Like, to me, that's a powerful symbol. To you, I shouldn't say a doodle. To you, that's a symbol that someone you like respects, but you don't you don't have any faith in it. You may have your own symbol or you don't have a symbol. But for me to share that with people who I don't know, all over, and I'm not again not talking about you, I'm talking about people all over the internet. I remember like I remember thinking, should I do this? Should I put myself out there? And now again, we're 72 episodes in. This isn't episode five. 
you can find me saying wacky stuff throughout the show. Episode 13 that I just covered earlier this week, I said, if I'm trapped on an island with you for three weeks, we might hook up. So I was saying wacky stuff. But this was per- this was personal to me. This was personal to me. This was saying this is a belief that I have that is not accepted by the mainstream. I also got to say this. I'm going to go deeper into hyper sigils real quick, but I also got to say this. There are very few episodes where I cuss on and I totally forget that I do it and it always catches me off guard when I'm listening to it. In the episode we did yesterday about the great mud flood, about was the world destroyed in the 1860s, I cussed in that. Totally caught me off guard. This episode, I cussed as well. It's super weird. I cuss a lot in real life. It's just the way I communicate. But I don't do it on the show. I think it's, I don't think it works on the show. Um, I used to cuss if it, uh, there's one episode where I did this bit about a coach throwing chairs around a basketball stadium or something like that. And I used the F word a couple times and it's so cringy. I'm, I'm really debating just taking it out. It adds nothing to the episode. It totally catches you off guard. This episode, I didn't do that. This episode, I just, you know, used the S word, which is funny for me to say it like that. Cause I cuss all the time in real life, but it's just, I, oh man, that it's the Yuba County five. It's a great episode. It's one of my personal favorite episodes. There's this bit in the middle of it about this hardcore basketball coach who's like throwing chairs. It's like the Special Olympians. And this guy is like a high-level NBA coach who comes out to coach. It's just dumb. It's so dumb. And I cuss for like two minutes straight and it's not funny. It's so funny because I just listened to this episode the other day and I don't even remember the context of when I said that word. I just remember listening to it, and I was like, what? What? But I'm not going to go in and edit that one, but I most likely will edit out the Yuba County 5, so download that one soon, because that's the neat thing about podcasts. You can actually go back and edit. I've done that before. I've taken out copyrighted material. You can edit stuff out, and then you put it back up. But ugh, it's, so, it's just such a cringy joke. And the joke's not at the expense of the uh, Special Olympians. Is that the expense of why would you have a high-level NBA? It doesn't work. Why was I even making that joke? Have a high-level NBA? Because they were—they it was a weird thing. They were making these Special Olympians compete for the ultimate prize. And I was like, just give them a trip to Disneyland. Why, why are you making them compete? Why is there only one group of kids? They weren't even kids. They were adults. Why does only one group of adults get to go to Disneyland? I don't know why I'm talking about that episode during this episode. But yeah, super cringy, and I, I don't like cussing on the show. I used to do it if this if it fit the story, and now I just don't do it at all. But anyways, let's talk about hyper <laughs> After that, after I diverged, after I did a background on another episode, let's talk about Dead Rabbit Recommend. Not that. Let's talk about hyper sigils for the rest of this. This is so important for you guys to do, and for me to do, and for us to do. You have to visualize your success. When I was doing this episode 72 to episode 630, wherever we're at now, 640, 50, by the time you guys are listening to these repeats, I have now had enough time, two years, to see a difference between when I visualize and when I do not. It is night and day. You have to do this to be successful. I 100% believe that. I believe people who are successful and don't do this, do this, but don't know it. I think people who have successful businesses or successful careers or whatever they're trying to do and they're successful, they're actually visualizing and they do not know it. Just like how I have double vision and I thought everyone in the world saw like me until someone pointed out that I had double vision. Someone who is successful uses the power of visualization, is using the power of hyper sigils and doesn't know it. So they're drawing glyphs on the wall and everyone's like, hey, Tommy, why are you drawing that glyph? I don't know. They're using these creative powers. They're manipulating the universe. They're sending out what they wanted in the universe. They're getting it back. Now, some people have to really concentrate on it. Some people have never done it, see? And they have to read books on it and they have to listen to podcasts on it and they have to figure out how to do it. And other people, it just happens for. When you listen to like Tupac in interview, you listen to almost any musician in interviews 
who is successful, they'll say, I dreamt about this my entire life. Like I used to go to bed every night, Biggie Smalls, Tupac. I used to go to bed every night and I visualized myself. I dreamt that I was going to be famous. And we hear that and we go, oh yeah, you know, I ever so often I'll daydream about, no, it's not that. It's not that. I think it would be hard pressed to find a musician who picked up a guitar one day and became famous. Now, I'm not saying every musician is super good and they didn't just pick up a guitar, but these are people who, I bet you anything, if you talk to them, they're like, yeah, you know, it's super weird. Ever since I was a kid, I knew I was going to be famous. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And then one day I picked up a guitar and I happened to meet, my buddy was in a band and we're playing around. And the next thing I know, Maroon 5's the number one band in America. You got to work hard, though. You got to work hard. You just can't visualize I was listening to an Eminem song the other day and it, one of the lines was, I don't remember it verbatim, I think it was Say What You Say. It's one of his older songs, but I think one of the lines was like, I was imagining this since I was a kid. I knew as a kid, I knew since I was a kid I was going to blow up. Now, do I think he sat there and focused on his intent, putting it out into the formless universe to give him fame? Probably not. If I said that to him, he'd be like, what are you, what, what are you talking about? Security! And then I'd beat up his security and I'm like, now you have time to talk, Mr. Mathers. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Dead Rabbit Radio. Because <laughs> that's my name. That's my name now. No, I'm sure if you asked him about it, he'd be like, what are you talking about? But then you go, would you visualize it? Like, since you were a kid. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I knew since I was a kid I was going to be famous. Like, I just could feel it. And I would daydream and I'd write in my book about, oh, yeah, I know what it was like to feel the stage lights on my skin and the roar of the crowd. Not the cloud, which is what I almost said. Walking on stage and you're hearing the cheap wood of that first stage at that club creak underneath your feet. And you perform your song and then you walk off. You go to that grimy little green room in the back and while you're sitting back there, that was the first step. You just imagined going into that first club. But while you're in that club in real life, you're imagining the next club, the bigger club, the bigger venue, signing the contracts, meeting Dr. Dre. Meeting... Dead Rabbit Radio. He beats up your security guards. You visualize that too. You have to visualize this. And I see a difference. I 100% see a difference in the show when I visualize the show growing. I visualize people going through their phone and finding my podcast. I visualize people sitting there and someone going, hey, what are you listening to? And the other person goes, oh, I'm listening to this hilarious podcast. It's called Dead Rabbit Radio. What? What I visualize all of these interactions happening and they happen because I can look at an objective set of numbers and see them go up. And when I stop doing that, the growth stagnates 100%. Now you could go, Jason, that's just correlation. It's just correlation. Maybe. That's the most logical answer. But I feel that it's right. And when I say I visualize it, I'm not saying I sit there between YouTube videos loading up where I just kind of, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, no, I will spend time before bed focusing on it. I will spend time walking down the street focusing on it, focusing on it. And that's what you need to do. That's the missing component with so much success. And maybe you don't want to be famous. That's admirable. Too many people want to be famous. I want my show to get out there. I think that this show helps people. I think at the very least it keeps them entertained while they're doing the dishes or washing the car, at the very least. And then I've gotten a lot of emails from people who this show has helped them through the pandemic. It's helped them not feel so lonely whether or not there's a pandemic going on. It's helped them with substance abuse issues. When I'm not telling super cringy jokes about (laughs) stupid coaches throwing chairs and cussing is so bad. I'm going to visualize me editing that episode soon. You have to visualize it, though. It's interesting. I'm rereading, actually, in preparation of this episode. Marcus Clausen recommended this the first time I asked Patreons for recommendations, which was a while ago. Then he re-recommended it. So I actually started rereading the book, The Science of Getting Rich, which I had never given any credence to visualization. The only time I talked about visualization is if you talk to any bodybuilder, they will say, I visualized my body to be this big. If you talk to bodybuilders, which again is a very objective thing, you can either lift those weights or you can't. 
you could go, hey, man, I tried my best to be famous, but I couldn't get the right agent, and I moved to Hollywood, and da-da-da. Weightlifting, you lift the weights, you get stronger. You lift heavier weights, you get even stronger. Talk to any bodybuilder, they go, I visualized. I visualized. You look through any fitness book, they always talk about visualization. So I, I followed that when I was weightlifting back in college. And I noticed that it worked, but I was like, oh, well, you know, it's just encouraging me to lift more weights. It's not, you know, no, no. It wasn't until decades later, I found this book online called The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. And it changed the way I looked at visualization. I honestly think the podcast wouldn't exist without that book. And if it did exist, I don't think it would have really taken off. Like, I think I needed to use the power of visualization. Honestly, honestly. But there's an interesting thing, and it's you have to be grateful for something you don't have yet. You have to believe you already have it, and you have to be grateful to the universe for giving you something that you don't have. So a lot of it is mental manipulation. A lot of it is to go, I am so, so thankful that I have this amazing recording studio, this hardwood desk and this powerful editing computer. Now I can start doing my, well, not now that I can start. For the past couple of weeks, I've been doing video editing. I've been posting those videos on YouTube. That's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. I'm so thankful that the universe has been able to provide me with the assets to set up this virtual recording suite. I have an, I have an interview scheduled next week with, with Slimer, with a ghost, with an actual ghost. Can you believe it? Thank you, universe. Thank you for giving me the tools that I needed, that I already had. Thank you. You have to live in that mind state. And the universe basically goes, oh, yeah, he already has that stuff. And then that stuff is provided to me. It's weird. It's absolutely weird, and it sounds totally foolish. But I believe it. I believe it can work. Now, obviously, there's a lot of wiggle room in that, because you could go, what about, and this is the thing I always go back to, some kid in a war-torn country, he doesn't want to be in the war-torn country. Is it his problem he's in the war-torn country? Because he can't imagine himself not in a war-torn country. No, absolutely not. That poor child, right, is a victim of that circumstance. And it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't work for everyone, but there are situations, obviously, like that, where you can't just be like, think think of a better life, son. But I believe that it works. I've seen evidence of it in the process of this show. I already believe I have so many listeners. And I watch my listeners grow. And when I stop doing that mental exercise, the show stagnates. Correlation, obviously anyone who believes in any sort of faith will go, oh, no, 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 I prayed and then this happened. And anyone who doesn't believe in that faith goes, well, I don't believe in your faith, so that was just a coincidence. So. But um, try it. Buy that book. It's, it's, I shouldn't say it is free. You can find free copies online. It's published back in the 18, late 1800s. But The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. Take a look at it. See if you can forge your own hypersigil. See if you can tell your own story and change reality. All it takes is mental power and work. You have to have the work, too. I just can't sit here and dream up, want to have the best podcast ever, and never record anything, or record an episode once a month or anything like that. But if you're willing to put in the work, and if you're willing to put in the mental work, which is actually... I've not stopped doing this show other than taking the breaks, but I've stopped using the mental power to move the show forward because it actually takes more mental power to look around and see a different reality than you're in. So I never stopped doing the show, but I've stopped doing those mental exercises. It does take a powerful brain to do that, but I believe that I can train my brain to do that. I believe you can train your brain to do that. And I think it's worth trying to do that. So there you go. There you go. Maybe you will take this advice and read that book or look that book up online and develop your own hypersigil. So let's forge a future together, a successful future together, using the power of hypersigils, using the power of the mind.
and using the power of attraction. Let's see what the universe wants to give us. See you guys tomorrow. But I thought this was an interesting detail. These five men, they're adults. They're driving around on their own. These five men are on their way to a Special Olympics basketball tournament where if they won, they would win a trip to Disneyland. Just give them the trip. Just give them the trip. Like, when I read that, I was like, really? Like, you're going to make a bunch of special needs people play super aggressive basketball because the winning team goes to Disneyland and the losing team does nothing. Like, that's pretty, that's a lot of stress to put on. That's a lot of stress to put on anybody. But then, you know, you have special needs. Like, just just send them to Disneyland, dude. When I read that, I'm like, that's quite heartless. To basically dangle that in front of somebody, being like, it's not super aggressive basketball. They're, it's the Special Olympics. It's not, shouldn't be so competitive that the losers actually lose. Like, I'm not saying everyone needs a trophy, but it's Disneyland. And I then, the rest of the time I was reading the article, I kept imagining this super aggressive coach, like an old school 1970s basketball coach, throwing chairs across the across the gym, being like, get your head in the goddamn game. You want to go to Disneyland? Well, get the fuck out there and play. And people are like, what the fuck is this? This is a Special Olympics. I want to see, that's the movie I want to see. The Civil War movie would be cool, but I would love to see a movie about a super aggressive basketball coach who has to coach the Special Olympics. And the joke isn't that, I just got to say this, the joke isn't that like, ha ha, look at those guys playing the Special Olympics. The joke is this guy is taking this way too seriously. I just can't, and the rest of the time I'm, I'm reading this article, I'm thinking, this coach is like, hey, come here, come here, get, 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 give me the ball, give me the ball. What's your fucking problem? You want to go to Disneyland? You like Minnie Mouse? You like Minnie Mouse? Yeah, yeah, I like Minnie Mouse. See that guy over there? Do you see him? He's going to be balls deep in Minnie Mouse if you don't make this goddamn shot. Go back in there. That's the movie I want to see. That's the movie I want to see. So I have to admit, I was quite distracted the rest of the time I was researching this because I kept imagining this crazy basketball coach harassing them. However, we will move on as best as we can. These five dudes, they don't go to Disneyland. Spoiler alert. That is not what happens in this story. They are driving through California. They're up in Yuba County. They stop at a convenience store around 10 p.m. where they're sighted, buying snacks and stuff like that. And then...